I just wanted her to stand up because this is my wife, and I just wanted you to get, get to meet her. My, my much, much, much better half. So uh, we have been married almost 40 years. Uh, I have served in ministry for 40 years. Uh, I started whenever I was 10 years old uh, in ministry. Yeah, come on, you're going to have to warm up a little bit here. Work with me. Uh, started out as a student pastor, did that for 15 years. Uh, then moved into education. Instead of working with teenagers, I started working with our parents, uh, which that was just a great thing to do. Went into education and administration. Went to another church and did education solely and then started. If you stay at a church long enough, they just keep putting more and more hats on you. I probably shouldn't have said that to the younger people in, in ministry here. Um, and then at my last church, which was Severns Valley Baptist Church in Kentucky, I was the executive pastor, oversaw all the staff. And my wife and I had been sensing that the Lord was doing something in our life. Um, and that mainly, I would say, started whenever Josh and Cherish told us that the Lord was leading them to begin this church. Ever since the, I'm going to even say the, the, the inception, when the Lord laid it on Josh and Cherish's heart to go and start a church, we were always thinking, man, it would be really great to be a part of that. Really, really great to be a part of that. And so we're excited to be a part of the church, although we're not really a part yet. We haven't actually gone through the membership, all of the membership process which that's really kind of cool to be able to sit underneath my son going through the membership process. I've been always the one teaching the membership class in the past, uh, but we're excited to get to know you. And thank you so much for your warm welcome that you have given to us. We really, really appreciate that. Well, the title of my sermon tonight is Peace Be With You, and it's taken out of John chapter 14, verse 27. And I'm really excited about sharing this passage with you because this is something that I really, really desire for me, and that is the peace of Christ in my life. You know, if you look around today in our world today, I don't see a lot of peace. Do you? I, I don't see peace in individuals' lives. I don't see peace in families' lives. I don't see peace in neighborhoods. I don't see peace in cities. I don't see peace in government. I don't know if I've ever seen peace in government. Uh, I don't see peace in states or in countries at all. And I've traveled to countries and experienced the negativity and the war that's taking, on, uh, that's taking place there. I just don't see it. Chaos, it's everywhere, everywhere in our world today. And we're thrown right into the mix of it. And it's tough, isn't it? I, I, I don't know of anyone that, who wouldn't desire just a little bit of peace in our world today. Unfortunately, until the Lord comes back, we're always going to be in the midst of chaos. We are always going to be in the midst of war and turbulence in our world today. But Christ gives his disciples a short couple of sentences that changes their whole entire world. 
And that's what I want to focus on tonight, are those few sentences, four little sentences in verse 27. We're going to pick that apart and we're going to apply it to our, to our life. Now, for us to, to really and truly understand this passage, we have to back up a little bit. So we can't just go and look at this scripture and just pull it out and not look at it in the entirety of Scripture. So that's what I want us to do. So if you've got your Bibles, you keep them out because we're going to go through and take a look at different things, different passages, and they're going to be up on the screen. I really appreciate that. Good job back there, Maddie. Thank you for doing that for us. Okay, so we're going to do some background. So we're going to go back to John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, you, you can see in that, that chapter, Mary then goes and anoints Jesus. She takes oil, very expensive oil, and anoints him. Then we see the triumphal entry of Jesus coming in to the city of Jerusalem. We see the crowds that are just praising him, and that's what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Then Jesus predicts his crucifixion at the end of chapter 12. Then we move into John chapter 13. We see the Last Supper, such a beautiful, beautiful demonstration of what it means to truly be a servant. Jesus getting down on his knees and washing the feet of people that were going to betray him and offer him up for crucifixion, for death. Judas's betrayal is predicted. Then Peter's betrayal, is, denial is going to be predicted. And then we hear Jesus tell his disciples very, very, very clearly that I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no man, no way other than Jesus to, to get to the Father. Then he tells the disciples, and they're greatly confused by this because they had never even conceptually thought about this. But when Jesus leaves, his spirit, another counselor is going to come and he's going to send that counselor to them so that he will have, the disciples will have, living within them the spirit of Jesus for all of their lives. Then we see the Trinity. That word's not used, but we see the Trinity revealed. And then we get to this passage, verse 27, where Jesus' peace is given. It's a gift that he gives to his disciples. It's up in the upper room. It's literally hours before he is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's betrayed. He's deni denied. He's arrested. The trial takes place. He's abused. He's beaten. He's crowned with thorns, he's scorned, he's mocked, he's ridiculed, he's then judged and found guilty, and then he's put on the cross and crucified. I find it so, so, so interesting that in the midst of this, knowing, Jesus knowing where he is in the time frame of what's getting literally in hours, getting ready to happen to him, and he shares these words with 11 men that are there present with him. Judas has already left, and he says these words. Peace. In the... In the Hebrew, it's shalom. 
In the Greek, it's arene. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. And don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. So he's saying, my peace, peace I give to you. Peace I'm going to leave with you. Peace I'm going to give to you. How in the world can Jesus be at peace whenever he knows exactly what's getting ready to face him? Well, we're going to dive into that just so that we can truly understand what that means. So I've got a couple of points that we're going to go through. We're going to go verse by verse in this. So let's take a look first at Jesus's gift of peace, and that gift is reconciliation. Now that's a big theological word that I'm going to help us to, to wrestle with. So that first, first sentence is, peace I leave with you. So this is talking in the present tense. And it's actually it's like Jesus is walking up to them with a present that he puts at their feet. Okay? Peace I leave with you. It's something that they didn't have before, but now he is giving to them. He's bestowing upon them. And this is happening now. Jesus is just getting ready to accomplish this, this giving this peace to him just in the next few hours, and it's accomplished on the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 helps us to understand that a little bit better. And it's, it, Paul is speaking to his friends in Rome, and he says this, for if, while we were enemies, and he's talking about us as people, all of us, Scripture tells, are enemies against God up to this point. Paul says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? So reconciliation is this. This is, this is the picture that we get, is we get two people or two groups that are opposing one another that are at war with one another. Deep in the trenches, they're at war. And the only way that they're going to be able to get together is for them to reconcile their differences, to work out their differences. So this is what Jesus is saying that, he's, that he is going to do, and it's accomplished on the cross by Jesus going and dying, taking our place as sinners, dying on the cross, he then is taking all of our punishment upon us so that we don't have to be punished. Amen? <laughs> Whenever I think about the Lord taking on my sin... And doing that freely, even when I am still a, sin, a sinner, just blows my mind. Most of us wouldn't do anything unless somebody had done something for them or there was something that we were going to get out of it. But Jesus wasn't going to get anything out of this except for accomplishing his Father's will. And he takes on the sin of mine, me, and you, and all of your friends, and all of your family, and all of your co-workers, co he takes that on. And what 
happens that's so amazing is at the point of his death, now death has been conquered and we can be reconciled. I said can, because not everyone is reconciled. Not all are reconciled. So because of what he's done for us, those followers, those who have become followers of Jesus, and I say this very, very clearly, I want you to hear this clearly. It's not just anyone who calls themselves a Christian that's a Christian, but it's someone who has believed in him. And that belief means taking a faith and acting it out, making your faith active. And then secondly, it's this, it's surrendering. Surrendering. I, I, I don't know about you all, but I at times have difficulty giving over control. Anybody else have that problem? Yeah. The rest of you, will pray for you. Okay. You can come to terms with that. I, I think all of us want control, and I, I am of firm belief that control is just an illusion. It's a myth. We really can't control many things at all. But what surrendering means is, is that I am no longer the boss of my world. I give Jesus control of my life. Whenever I'm talking to little kids about coming to know Jesus and what that means, the term boss is a great way to describe it because they know who their boss is, mommy and daddy. Some would even say, my brother thinks he is. I know my two brothers would have said that Jeff thought he was a boss. I'm the oldest of, th of three boys. So we, at that point in time when this reconciliation takes place, something transforms within us, and instead of being enemies of God, then there's some new terms that we now are understood as. And listen to these things. We're no longer aliens. We're now family. We're now adopted instead of orphans. We're heirs of the king. We're part of the royal priesthood and a holy nation, and we are now called children of God because of what God has done through his son Jesus and his death on the cross, reconciliation. Well, he doesn't stop there, okay? So that was present tense. That's getting ready to be accomplished in just a few hours. Then he says, and I, I find along with every, every commentary that I read said, that Jesus declares something that no one else can declare, and that is my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. So Jesus is saying, you have been watching me and following me and seeing how I have lived my life these last three and a half years and the peace that you have experienced with me through all of these difficult things that we have gone through, I am now going to give that to you. And what he is actually prophesying or foretelling is the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to be coming and resting inside of them. And so his gift now is the gift of his spirit that he gives to them. 
John 14, verses 15 and 17, just before the verses, the verse that we're, we're focusing on says this, if you love me, and I think this is beautiful, just a beautiful passage, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, so it's not just saying that Jesus is Lord, there's part of us revealing ourselves, the true nature of ourselves following him and, and obeying him. Then verse 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And he is the spirit of the truth, of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So we as believers, now after we have come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and after we have surrendered and He has become our Father, now He gives to us His Son's Spirit to live with us, and it's His Spirit living within us that allows us to be at peace and to have His peace. I've seen... This demonstrated over and over and over again throughout my ministry and the times that I've been going to actually minister to other people. And in ministering to other people, I have been ministered to more by them than by me. And let me just give you a couple of examples. I remember very, very, very clearly going to a hospital and visiting someone who was deathly ill. We didn't know how much longer that they had, and I walked in. They were still coherent and had a conversation with them, and they were so excited about going to see Jesus. Here I was, worried about going in and trying to share with them comfort and peace, and what they're giving to me is hope and comfort because they knew where they were going. I remember very clearly, Sarah and I, going to a, a lady, an older lady in her home. They'd called the office, they'd asked for a pastor to come to the house, and she just wanted to have someone come and to pray for her children. Here she is dying, and she passed away literally within days after we met with her. And we went and spoke to her to, with her just to encourage her and to pray with her. And we both walked away from that, that moment, that time with her, so blessed because of the peace, the peace that she had in Christ, knowing where she was going to go, but being concerned about where her children were going to go. I, I've seen that over and over and over again. The third point is this, worldly peace is an illusion. As long as Christ holds off from returning, the world is going to be in conflict. That's a given for us. So if we think, and many people believe that when they come to know Christ as their Savior, that everything is going to be great. And there's not going to be any bad times. There's no promises of that. But Jesus does give us some great promises as far as us being able to walk through those dark times, those difficult times. 
Jesus wants his followers to know that this isn't a kind of a, of a hope that we hope for and that we wish for but isn't able to be achieved. No, this is something that is achievable and that he is going to produce it inside of us. I told you earlier that this word peace was the word shalom. And actually, what it was, it was both a blessing or a welcome, but it was also a phrase that they used as they were leaving a house. And whenever they walked into the house, they would say shalom. And what that would mean was peace be with you. And as they were leaving, they again would say shalom, Both parties would say shalom, and again, it would mean peace be with you. Now, can those two parties, do they have the ability to provide peace to the person or to the individuals that are leaving? They can't provide it. Now, they can be ministers of peace in trying to share peace with them, but can they give them peace? No, they can't. Jesus is saying that his peace is markedly different because what he says and what he's going to give to us and to his disciples is something that can be done. It's hope fulfilled. It's not just hoping that something would happen, but you're kind of iffy if it's going to or not. But you can trust in, you can, as they say, take it to the bank. It's going to happen. If it's said in true sincerity, it honestly can't be promised, shalom, can't honestly be promised to another person unless we're seeking to do one thing, and that's reconciliation. If we go to a person that we have been at odds with, and we go to them in peace saying, I want to reconcile, then the sincerity of that can truly mean, I hope and I pray that peace can be between us. And we're challenged to do that in in Matthew 18, that if we have sinned against a brother, a brother has sinned against us, that we're supposed to go and confront them. You see, the world's peace is dramatically opposed to the peace that Christ is talking about here. The world's peace is characterized as momentary and fleeting and tranquility through self-indulgence, materialism, love, romance, substance abuse, false religion, psychotherapy, Netflix, Amazon, whatever you want to try to achieve that peace in your life, all of it is nothing more than a placebo just a pill that doesn't do anything. And again, this is in stark contrast to what Jesus is saying to us. He's talking about his peace that he leaves with them and then also the peace that he's giving to them. So let's look at the contrast. D.A. Carson, in his book, The Farewell Discourse and Final Prayer of Jesus, says this, the peace that Jesus leaves his disciples is ultimately independent of outward temporal circumstances. It turns on Christ's atoning work. The pivot point is Christ's atoning work. And on 
trust in the, in the eternal God, not on health, power, prestige, new acquisitions, or excitement. The world's peace turns on transient variables that can, cannot engender stable peace. So think of it this way. On this side, we have the peace of the world. On this side, we have the peace of Jesus. On, the, on this side, with the peace of the world, we have this. It's fleeting. It's momentary. It's dependent upon situations and circumstances, fears and feelings, peace that is false. It's elusive and unstable. You cannot trust it. Now, the peace of Jesus. It's independent of circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on. You can still have that peace. It's based solely on the atoning work of Christ. It's because of Jesus reconciling, first and foremost, the greatest relationship that needed, needed to be reconciled. That is between God and his creation, man and woman. The reconciliation of those two parties is his greatest redeeming work in us, is reconciling ourselves to him. And he did that through the cross. The peace that of Jesus then is real. It's not false. It's secure. It's not unstable. It's unmovable. It's solid as a rock, and it's something that we can depend upon. Then lastly, the last part of the, the passage that we're looking at is this, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. And this is peace in the midst of chaos. So how can we live? How can we have peace and not let our heart be troubled or fearful? Jesus gives us ways to do that. My favorite definition of the word peace came from a pastor, a former pastor, as he was going through and explaining what the word peace literally means in the Greek. The best definition that he could give and the best I've ever heard is this. It's a setting down on the inside. A setting down on the inside. And let me give you kind of an illustration of that. Remember whenever Jesus got, it told his disciples to go out and get into a boat, and then he got into the boat, and then they were going to cross the Sea of Galilee, and there was a storm that came up, and it raged, and all of the disciples were just crazy fearful, and one of them finally went to Jesus and woke him up and said, do you not know what's going on? And Jesus woke up very calmly and spoke, and the sea was calm. Was Jesus worried about the sea and what was going on all around him? Don't you wish you could sleep like that? Uh, all of the parents that have newborns, I know you're just crying out for sleep right now. And as you get older, you, you kind of go back to that, but it's not because of a baby. It's you just can't sleep. Um, but I, here's Jesus in the midst of a boat, in the middle of a sea, and it's raging storm. Uh, growing up, I grew up 
uh, going to lakes often. My father, at one time, I, I told Tristan this, my dad was an attorney. He didn't like it. Uh, and so at, whenever he was around the age of 38, he decided to get out of, the, of practicing law, and he uh, bought a bass tournament fishing organization. We had been fishing as a family maybe three times before, and now we're going to the lake every week running tournaments. And there, there was one time on a boat during a fishing tournament that my brother and I were out. We were in two separate boats, and we were in Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's got fierce winds, and there's not hills or ravines or anything like to, 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 to help you get out of the... The, the, the wind and the waves, but it quickly came up, and we're in bass boats. As far, we're about as close as these two pillars are. He's in one boat, I'm in another boat, and the waves are so high that we can't see each other between the waves. And we're just getting beat. And I, my heart was fearful. It was just beating on my chest. I was worried for my younger brother over there that's, that's driving the boat, and I'm over here dri driving another boat, and I, I wasn't afraid of dying because I had a life vest on, but I was, I was afraid of getting maybe cut up from the boat if it, if I, if it ejected me out. But that was very, very fear fearful, and I was just praying for this storm to relent. So I can understand, and we all face different storms in our life. We will all face diff different storms in our life. And here's Jesus' words to us. Don't be troubled. Don't be fearful. How can he say that, and what is he asking us to do? What he's asking us to do is to understand this key point. God's in control. God is sovereign. He knows everything that is going on around us. Jesus knew exactly what he was saying to his disciples when he told them, don't let your heart, your inner spirit, become troubled or fearful. D.A. Carson says that there's three dimensions of peace. The first one is peace with God. That's the vertical aspect of it. And because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross through reconciliation, he has helped us with our standing with God. We are now reconciled to him. So that's the first and foremost. And if you have never done that, I'm going to plead with you tonight to get that taken care of tonight. None of us knows the time or the hour or the day that we're going to pass away. None of us do. So don't wait you don't have to live a life of chaos with God. You can be reconciled. First, Second Corinthians 5.18 says this, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And I love this second part. 
And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We then are ambassadors. We're actually called to go out as his ambassadors to be reconcilers, bringing people to God. And there's nothing more joyful in this world than leading someone to the Lord. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and also your mind in Christ Jesus. Those are the two parts of us, our mind and our heart, that we have a hard time controlling. Fear can just go rampant inside of us, but he's telling us that we can be peaceful because everything is from him and he is the one that gives us peace. Now, that's the vertical. The second is horizontal, okay? Horizontal is our standing with others. And because God has reconciled us to himself, we're then to pursue reconciliation with other people. Now, I, I, I'm going to press here on this, okay? That means that, you're gonna, that we are going to have to own things, Okay? It doesn't say if you feel like reconciling with someone, then go, you probably ought to go and do that. Scripture tells us very, very clearly that since we have been reconciled with our Heavenly Father, now we are ministers of reconciliation. And the first people that we ought to be reconciled with are the people that we have something against or that has hurt us. There's only a point in your spiritual growth that you will grow as long as you hold on to those hurts that others have done to you. Do you realize this? That by not letting go of it and by not forgiving them, they are continuing to hurt you? You wish that you could get out underneath, from underneath that pain, but you're holding on to that pain. And so what you really need to do is you, you need to take a step to go and be reconciled with that person. If they have done something to you, go and try. If you have done something to them, then go and try and make things right with them. So horizontal, Matthew 5, 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, that means that you're trying that you're exerting energy, that you're trying to reconcile, be at peace with everyone. The last is personal. So I, I, I see God as the vertical, the horizontal is our relationships with others, and then right in the middle of that crosshairs is a circle, and that's us. So we need to have peace within. 
How do you have peace within? This is a peace that's, a, that's personal. It's serenity, which is not based on the, the ability to avoid troubles, but it's just having that peace of setting down on the inside. First, Second Thessalonians 3.16 says this, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace in every way. The Lord be with all of you. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. I think that pretty much contains everything there. I don't think that there's anything left out on that. That is that he's, he can give us peace in all situations no matter what's going on or what has gone on. He can be peace to us. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, 6 and 7 says this, don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then listen to this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then Galatians 5, 22 and 23 but the fruit of the Spirit. So this is the evidence of the Spirit living inside of uh, us is going to be seen by these characteristics. These are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are being revealed through us. And listen to what they are. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The, the law is not against such things. David, in all of his wisdom, even after making grave mistakes, did something that was so beautiful that we really ought to do often. And it's recorded in Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. And he says this, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns, my fears, my worries. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So, I love asking questions. That's what I'm known for whenever I preach. So I have a question for you and for me. Is there any unrepentant sin in your life? Why? 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 It can't be giving you any more joy than Jesus that we sang about earlier. It can't be. It, it's that illusion of peace, that illusion of joy. Repent and be freed from it. Have you offended a brother? Then go and make things right. Are you growing in Christ-likeness daily? That's what we're challenged and what we're charged to do, that each and every day we ought to be more like Jesus. And then who or what are we allowing to influence us in a negative way. Remove it. You want peace? Do those things. 
Now, I, I want to share with you something that just really has helped me very, very quickly, and it's this. I think all of us have areas of unrest. Uh, there are things that are going on in our lives that many times we don't have any control over, but there are many things that we do have control over. And a friend of mine just wrote a book, and, and it's called The Peace Index. His name is Jeremy Kubitschek. And in this book, he goes through and he identifies five key areas where people most feel unsettled in their lives. And I want to walk through those with you. And I, if you have a piece of paper, I would highly encourage you to write these five words down, okay, as we're going through them. Here we go. First one is this, purpose. You see, God has created each and every one of us very uniquely with a unique personality, and he's given us gifts, talents, and abilities. And he didn't do that just for our good pleasure. He did that for his work. And so what he wants us to do is to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and the character, the personality that he's given to us for his glory. So the question for us is this, is are we using... Are we living a life that is full of purpose? Are we living our lives the way that God has designed us to do? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? What really excites you in the morning? What do you find meaning, meaning in your life? What were you made to do? How have you positively affected people in their lives? And does what you do match up with how God made you? Now, what Jeremy encourages us to do and what I did and was really helpful to me was go through and rate your peace. If you, you don't think that's going very well in your life, then put a zero there. Rate yourself from zero to 100 and find out where your peace level is according to your purpose. Second one is this, people. How do you feel about the most important people in your life? Think about your spouse, your family, your coworkers, uh, and then the, the, your friends. And then t think about relationships there. Are the relationships going well? And then go through and relate your pieces according to people. Uh, it, are you doing well? Then it's going to be a high number. If not, if things aren't going well and there's difficulties, then it's going to be lowing, lower. But go through and write that. The next is place. What's your level of peace related to the spaces in your life? That would include your house, your neighborhood, the city that you live in, the state that you live in, and I'm going to even say the country that you live in. And then rate, the, rate that, your spaces. I have a friend, he and I walked through this back in Elizabethtown. Uh, and whenever we got together and we looked at his, his peace index, his lowest was in place. And I, his name is Asasanam. He and his wife are from Togo. And they're studying to become pastor. He's studying to become a pastor and go back to Togo. So whenever we got to peace, I said, Asasanam, why is your peace level so low in your place? And he says, because we want to go home. That made perfect sense. 
that made perfect, perfect sense. I told you that this, this assessment really helped us, helped Sarah and me to, to decide that now was the time to move to St. Louis because our, my peace index was really low and it was because I really felt like, Sarah felt like that it was time for us to join the work of this church and to get closer to our kids and our grandkids. The next is personal health. That's made up of three parts. It's the mental, the physical, and the spiritual aspect of it. And so are you in a good state of mind? Are you constantly worrying or do you feel joyful or peaceful? Do you need to lose some weight? Or maybe you need to gain some weight. I know some people that need to gain some weight. Are you out of shape or are you, you know, the couch potato, you really need to get up and get active? Or maybe you're even too active and you need to slow down a little bit. So rate your personal health thinking of Mental, physical, and spiritual. Spiritual would, would be what's your rela- relationship with the Lord? Do you feel close to Him now? Uh, are you spending time with Him daily? Are you learning from Him and is He growing you? And then again, r- write your assessment down, zero to 100, and write that number down. And then last is provision. Now, clear distinction here. There's a big difference between needs and wants, okay? Big distinction between needs and wants here, okay? So provision would be be this. Do you have everything that you need to live? Is your salary high enough? Uh, Do you have a house? Do you have a place to live? Do you have food on your table? Are you able to make ends meet and then go through and write provision down as well. I can't think of anything in my life that I get concerned about or get worried about or fearful about that doesn't fall within those, those five things. Purpose, people, place, personal health, and provision. Then in those, once you have those numbers, then add them all up, divide by five, and then that, that's going to give you your peace index and it's going to help you to establish a baseline. And then what it did for me was it clearly identified areas in my life that I needed to go before the Lord and give to him, but then also make some changes. And I think it's going to give you clarity just like it has for Asasinam and some others. All right, let's wrap this up. Peace, true peace, comes from knowing that God is sovereign. He knows all things, and he's in control of all things. Knowing that he is in control gives us the peace that passes all understanding. And the only reason why we can have peace is because we have hope. You ever thought about how closely tied peace and hope are. People that have no hope have no joy, no peace. They're in turmoil. But if we have hope and our hope is in Jesus, then we have and can have great peace. I want to leave you with this. Romans fifteen thirteen says this. Now the God of now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may 
overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So three things I want to challenge us with as we leave today. Number one, am I living as a person of peace? Now, what what do I mean by that? Am I a person that is portraying peace to myself inside? Am I able to set down on the inside no matter what's going on around me? Number two, do others view me as a person of peace? That may be the bigger thing that we need to really take a look at. How are you known? Are you known as being a peaceful person or are you always uptight? Are you always fearful? Are you always worried? Are you always anxious? Why is that? Then lastly, evaluate the areas, five areas of unrest, and then make time to pray over those and listen to the Lord and how he's leading you to make changes in your life. Would you bow with me?